When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. Flynn, what's happening? Well, we had Bruce on E Street Radio this morning. He was, the occasion was for him to talk about the 10th anniversary of the Apollo show that kicked off the Record Ball tour. But of course, they had to bring up this year's tour, or the lack thereof, and Bruce came out with his usual vague, pretty soon quote. Yeah, look, what is he going to say? I don't, I don't think they're <laughs> ready to say anything right now, and I don't, they don't have anything booked as far as we know. Everything was wiped out, as we reported, back at the end of December, early January. So right now they're in a situation, it does seem like he wants to get out and play. It's all the factors we've talked about previously can he get a crew can he get venues can he get trucks to move stuff around there are lots and lots of logistics that are required for touring and and right now they're it sounds like they're trying to put it back together so we can get on the road well there certainly have been a lot of a lot of debate online about the definition of pretty soon but uh you know in brucey's pretty soon can mean can mean six months to a decade from now Nobody wants shows quicker than you and me. That I think <laughs> there, I'm sure there are people who want shows really quick, but so do we. And I've got my fingers crossed. But if we see Bruce this year with the E Street Band, that'll be a bonus. I think at this point, literally the best case scenario would be something in September. Now, I mean, I'm just that's just my guessing here. And then they kind of use that as the as the launching point for for touring into the fall in arenas and into the spring in arenas and into next summer back in the stadiums. That's got to yeah. be the best scenario at this point. Well, you know, let's see. Again, he was not very specific. One other thing <laughs> I'll point out is if you listen to him last year when he was on German TV with Obama, I think that was in November when the book came out. He said specifically the East Street Band will be coming to Germany next summer because at the time he said that, they had dates that were booked. He knew exactly where he was playing and when he was playing. And then so those posters appeared. <laughs> well, they disappeared. Yes, that's a whole no, they, separate story. They appeared and then they briefly on on subway walls and then they disappeared. Evidently. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yes. The posters are out there. The shows are not going to happen. But <laughs> that was the kind of specific info he could provide. What he said this morning will be seeing you pretty soon. That's extremely nebulous. And as we know, uh, as you said, his standard of soon can vary quite a bit. <laughs> and unfortunately, he didn't say anything about any uh, potential releases such as, uh, oh, I don't know, tracks two or a new album. So uh, I guess he said he's working on some stuff, but nothing, nothing beyond that. He didn't say anything beyond that. All right. Well, let's move on to our new archive, Cleveland 2009, uh, which oh, yeah. we have talked about quite a bit on this show. <laughs> and I know it's a favorite of yours. For the 2009 tour, I think it's a very solid choice. Now, I will say, having spent the weekend listening to it a couple of times, it's a solid show. I don't know how many more 2009 shows I need to hear. 
Just one more no, coming, that, hopefully. <laughs> which one? Which one is that? Uh, Darkness from hopefully Philly. Okay. That's the only one worth releasing from that tour, in my opinion. They gave us the three shows previously, the two garden shows and Buffalo, which were uh, the killer shows from that period. There were a lot of other really solid shows. This is one of them. Listening to it, the back in your arms is spectacular, as we know. The pink Cadillac is cool. Hearing Born to Run Straight Through is not as big a deal for me because, of course, we've seen those songs so many times. And there is something cool about the sequence. But overall, I I don't think this is one I'm going to listen to a huge amount, except for maybe the back in your arms. But I I think it made sense to release, and I'm glad we have it. Yes, I I agree with that. I I guess I I put it in higher esteem than you do. I thought hearing Born to Run in order was... uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, I really enjoyed it. It made for a great running soundtrack over the weekend. Um, you know, I, I ran a little bit further than I should because you just can't stop Jungle Lane in the middle. And but I really I think it's a it's a really good Clarence showcase show. Because in, adi- in, in addition to all the Wonder Run solos, and there are a bunch of them, obviously, um, both Pink Cadillac and Back in Your Arms really spotlight Clarence and, and, he, and he nailed it. He just nailed it. He was on this night, and there are other shows from that fall where, where he wasn't. And and I think this one makes just a perfect release. It's a good lesson. I think the encores are good. Certainly, they they repeated the Can't Help Falling in Love, which was also played at the Garden. That's the only two times it was done on the tour. Yeah, well, of course, the Garden version was impromptu and, as we like to say, a little ragtag. Well, and this one was a little bit stronger. This one was a little bit stronger, and I thought the segue into Higher and Higher was was just superb. Yeah, it was really good. It, it, look, it's it's a solid listen, as we're saying. I don't know how much more there is to say about it. I'll let you. I think you do hold the show in a little bit higher esteem than I do. I, I The 2009 year, with the exception of the two garden shows, is not a favorite period for me. In, in Springsteen touring, we discussed this already on the episode we did on the Working on a Dream tour. And as I say, I don't know how much more there is to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say that I really enjoyed the stretch of, of songs from Radio Nowhere through uh, through Badlands to end the set. I think having three modern songs in there, especially Radio Nowhere, because that really when he played that in 2009, the show was just a little bit better. And and then obviously Lonesome Day and the Rising and, and, and ending with uh with really a, a thunderous Badlands, I, good stretch, good stretch of, of songs. Yeah, not sure how much I'll revisit in a couple months, but uh, I'm really enjoying it right now. Well, good. I I think they will appreciate that you're enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> of course, we buy every one, so some of Select our some of our opinions will be better than others on these things. But it, it's a solid release. You know, I mean, what more? Again, what more is there to say about it? Well, I, I will also add that they they can't just focus on say eighty five or eighty four or, or or the Magic Tour or, or the Reunion Tour. They got to stretch it out to to it to cover every tour. And we were due for a Working on a Dream show. We were due for a Born to Run show. And again, I think the, this one pretty much uh, hits nail hits the nail on the head. Yeah, of course. The problem is that, and not to beat a dead horse again, as we know, the Rising Tour is missing action. <laughs> and yeah. Really, from the from the modern reunion era, uh, to me, 
I want them to focus on the reunion tour where we know they have limited shows and then the magic tour and especially the 2012 part of the wrecking ball tour. There are so many high quality shows there and some people are not going to like this since they can't put out an 85 show or 78 show every month to me, start focusing on those three periods and, and bringing forth the large number of truly great shows that were played in those years uh, throughout the year in 2012, throughout the year in 2008, and also in the fall of 2007. And of course, whatever they have from the reunion tour, as we've seen from the recent releases, the reunion tour really hits home. I mean, it hits home for us because we love that tour. But even the people who didn't see it, there every time a reunion tour release comes out, whether it was the Garden 627 or the recent Pond release, people are like, holy crap, this is great. And, <laughs> and there's a good reason for that. They were amazing on that tour. Yes. Well, I would add um, I would add 2013 to your list of years to, to focus on. But at, at the same time, I just want to point out that they did they did release two shows from 2012 in, in the 2021 calendar year. They released St. Paul uh, early in the year, and then there was obviously Fenway in the summer. So there is that there is that uh, that kind of trend in that heading in that direction. Right. Won't be satisfied until we get Paris July <laughs> 5th. But enough about that. Let's move on to our topic tonight and return to the Magic Tour. What do you think? Let's do it. So we resume our discussion of the Magic Tour with the third and final part. Today we'll be looking at the summer of 2008 in Europe followed by the events in the United States that took place in July and August. And events? You mean shows? <laughs> yes. Although, when we get to the last weekend, that really did seem like an event. Well, just because it was your birthday weekend. Come on. <laughs> it was a big birthday, but it was more than that. All right, but let's start in Dublin, where they opened with three shows at RDS Arena. Interestingly, not a single tour debut at any of these three shows. Well, no, they pretty much picked up right, right where they left off, uh, even inclu including performances of Magic, which I I was surprised he did that in stadiums, but he kept it in there. And I actually like it when he did Magic on, on this tour because it, it gave everyone a chance to catch their breath after the, the opening salvo. And, and he didn't keep that up. Uh, I was looking at set list and... It just seemed like he was on. He had the his foot to the metal, the pedal to the metal, the almost the entire show, and not much pacing going on there when you're going 90 miles an hour the whole time. Well, we're going to talk about that, especially as it relates to Giant Stadium. Well, he was but doing it long. He was doing it long before Giant Stadium. Let's talk a little about the difference between the stadium shows and the arena shows. This is something we could actually talk about on other tours as well, but we happen to be talking about the Magic Tour. It, I, I think you just hit on it. it. There was, would you say he was trying to be muscular in a way in these stadium shows that he was not in the arenas? You know, that's a, that's a good question. It's, I've always been a little bit bewildered by the fact that once he goes from going from an indoor, the indoor arenas to, to outdoor stadiums, the shows get longer. And I would have thought the opposite. Whereas an air conditioned arena, he'd be able to go, almost four hours or or a little longer than what he was doing. I guess the shows in, in the States were, I guess, two hours, 30, two hours, 45 minutes, pops that spring. 
and then he goes to Europe, and all of a sudden they're 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 hitting three hours on a regular basis. And you would think that the Heat would play a role, but he seems to thrive in that. Yeah, it really is interesting how when they get outside, and of course now that he's 72, 73, <laughs> we'll see when they tour again if this applies. But he does not seem bothered by the heat all that much, especially actually, back I, in, in 2008. Well, I think he actually fed on it, and, and that certainly happened in, in 12 and 13. and Well, 13, I guess he didn't play that many arenas, but certainly in 16. Um, but yeah, the first time it's really noticeable, I think, is on is on this Magic Tour. Now, get, now getting back to the shows in Europe, May 30th in London, this is an interesting thing. They open, and this must have been the first time in the reunion era, right? The show opens with 10th Avenue Freeze Out, which becomes a semi-regular opener for the summer and as really effective with the way it leads up with the crowd to when Bruce counts into the song and and it, and it bursts forward. Well, it wasn't the first time he ever opened with it. Um, he did open with it earlier that spring in, in Dallas. Oh, right. Yes. Right. But yes, it was, I thought it was a very effective opener. Uh, we saw it in at giant stadium later that summer. And I thought it worked really well with the, with the buildup and then just exploding <laughs> with it. Uh, at, at the time when the when the when the horns hit the crescendo, well, I guess you only have one horn at this point of the tour, hits that crescendo before you you go into the first verse, and I thought it was really cool. I thought it was very cool. It was cool, and, and he did two shows in London at Emirates Stadium. In the second show, they actually got their first tour debuts, a Born in USA double shot of Downbound Train <laughs> and I'm on Fire. Right, but then you'll see the first night he. Uh, after he does the opening five songs, he, he he slows it down with magic before getting things going again. And and then the, the second night, there's no magic, but you get Sandy instead into growing up. So you get an early, early days double shot there uh, before getting the, the two tour debuts you talked about. And I, I like that. I like that. And then, then I think at this show you you're, you're really starting to get the the, the epic in in the, in the place of Devil's Arcade, and and this show you get Backstreets, and in other shows you get uh, you know Racing in the Street and Point Blank and some others. Yeah, Devil's Arcade would make a few more appearances, but certainly at this point it it dropped off, it dropped out. Yeah, the last appearance for Devil's Arcade was uh, was June sixteenth, actually in, in in Germany, and actually it hasn't been played at all <laughs> since then. That right, fourteen years later, he did play it a couple of times. I think it one. Did he play it at Stand Up for Heroes Acoustic once? Am, or, or am I getting that wrong? He did, and that was in uh, November of two thousand seven. Ah, so he really oh, has. It has not come. That out was before this. Okay. Yes. Yes. Not only was that the last uh, June sixteenth show, the last performance of Devils, RK, but it was also <laughs> one of the first nights we. Bruce experienced a, a power outage. Well, I guess it wasn't the first night. The first night would have been 2003. 2003, down in Australia. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, he had a power outage at the start of this show and yeah, kind of messes with the pacing. Well, it, it seems like uh, just looking at the set list, the, the power was cut t- twice in the first three songs. It looks like after that, maybe they got it together. <laughs> looks like it. Looks like it. But, yeah, you got to you got to think you get on that stage, you're all hyped up and then, boom, all of a sudden you're you're, there's no nobody's hearing what you're playing and you have to you have to stop playing. And that 
could not have been good for <laughs> for his momentum as uh, going into like the third song of the night. Now they were in a real groove at this point after Dusseldorf. They wound up in Amsterdam. As you pointed out, Devil's Arcade is now gone from the set. I believe Magic is also, it, it makes one or two more appearances, right? But it's primarily gone from the set. Yes, you're, you, you are correct. And what I like about this show, show with the Netherlands on June 18th, uh, Summertime Blues into Stan Audit into Seven Nights to Rock. Now, that's some serious rockabilly going on, man. Yeah, the one thing that it hits me is, and this is something that happens in Europe a lot, mainly because they get the big stadium shows and they don't get a lot of arena shows. As we talked about in the previous two episodes, the theme of the show was so important and you do start to lose it here. Now, a lot of these shows wind up as big parties, which is what we were alluding to earlier. And, and he does loosen up. And as you just pointed out, you're, you're getting stuff like Summertime Blues stand on at Seven Nights to Rock. That's just balls to the walls. <laughs> yes, but it is. you do lose something here, as I think you always do in stadiums. Mm hmm. You do lose something when he, when he varies from that initial structure of the set. And uh, I guess it's a little unfortunate for, for those in Europe. We may get hate mail over this. But that is something that has afflicted the shows in Europe, again, primarily because he's only playing stadiums there. Yeah, they uh, the stadium shows in Europe, they, they do become bigger parties and there's and they lack the the narrative focus that that we so enjoy talking about in in America in American arenas. But at the same time, he's you know he's playing hard. You can't you can't fault him for that. And he's got to reach everybody. And there's a language barrier in certain cases. In some cases, yeah. But uh, Europeans are they're more bilingual or multilingual than we are. So that's true. So, so they're they're very good about that. I always remember the the kid I saw in in Spain. This is a little little aside. He had a sign. Uh, I guess he was a kid. I guess he was a teenager in Barcelona on the beginning beginning of the reunion tour, and he had a sign that said, "Thank you, Bruce, for teaching me English." So I was thought I was thought I was think of that when I think of uh, European audiences being being multilingual. Now, Hamburg, the next show, there actually is a very notable debut because Held Up Without a Gun is played. And that is the first time since the one performance on New Year's Eve on the River Tour, correct? <laughs> yeah, second performance ever. And uh, what, 20 some odd years later, 28 years later. That's pretty pretty and significant. That, and it, and it, it makes a few more appearances before the, before the year's over. Yeah, we saw Not, it, but we'll get to that a little later. Not not a one and done. Not a one and done. And at, at this show in Hamburg, you also get you get incident in the epic slot that replaced Devil's Arcade. Well, and bizarrely, you get a second tour debut in this show, and that's Hungry Hearts <laughs> somehow had not been played the entire tour. It is amazing that it, yeah that it waited that he waited this long to bust it out. And I wonder what he was thinking. I guess he had kind of had a had a river vibe going. He played Sherry Darling a few songs earlier, and then. But and then he then he did I work for your love so maybe not all river <laughs> certainly maybe a, maybe he thought I work for your love felt like a river rocker and he wanted to keep it going. Well, it is funny because Hungry Heart, of course, is still one of his highest charting songs and without question one of his biggest hits. And to go uh, two legs of a tour without playing it, it really. As we're as we're going through this now, it's just sort of like, wow, I, I totally forgot that that even happened. 
But, you know, sometimes I, I think he gets tired of some of these songs. Unfortunately, <laughs> that hasn't happened to Waiting on a Sunny Day. <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting. But now, and then I was looking at Glory Days earlier, and it seemed like that only got a yeah. another top ten hit, and on this tour, and with as it relates to this tour, and he it only got a few outings in, before Europe, and then, and even in Europe, it wasn't he didn't bust it out every night. After that, he went to Belgium. He went to Milan. Now Milan has our namesake song, "None But the Brave," played in the middle of the show. Uh, a particularly right. hot set list, None But the Brave, Candy's Room, Darkness, a lot of darkness in the show. Also, Prove It, Promised Land. So, well, well, I see this as one of the one of the shows where he's just he's just the pedal is to the metal from the moment he gets on stage. You know, unless you unless you call Spirit in the Night or, or Darkness on the Edge of Town to be, you know, a breath a breathtaking song an opportunity to catch your breath he doesn't play anything slow until i'm on fire which is two-thirds of the way through the show yeah it these shows the pacing of the stadium shows particularly in 2008 was it was a little bit over the top i'll, I'll be <laughs> honest just a little maybe more than a little See, and then I think back to 2003, where he played Empty Sky every single night. Well, and again, there was there was more nuance on the Rising Tour and the Magic Tour, spectacular. But it, it was interesting in 2003, maybe because 9-11 was, was obviously such a huge event for all of us in all of our lives that he, he stuck with that theme even a little bit longer than he normally does into the stadiums because you did get those songs. Empty Sky was still being played. Your Empty mission Sky was, was played. Empty Sky was played every night. That's incredible. Of, of the rising tour. And it, was, and it was always the acoustic duet with Patty. So it, every single night, it was like the six or seven song after the opening salvo, as I like, as I like to say. And it was your missing that got dropped uh, about two thirds of the way through the tour, again in Europe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and thinking back, your missing didn't disappear completely. It was even played the final night at Shea, right? Yes, yes, it was. So you know, I think another distinction here on Magic compared to the Rising Tour, what, what we're talking about these European shows here, and and the initial narrative that we discussed so much on this tour in the last two episodes. It was it was heavily American, and that had to impact things. Uh, don't you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, the the Magic album was basically about American American foreign policy as it relates uh, to to Iraq, and, and while certainly the U.S.'s decision to to go into Iraq certainly affected the affected Europe, affected the entire world, but it didn't have the same effect that uh, that nine eleven did. That is that's for sure. Now, speaking of sh songs that reflect American foreign policy. Uh, a few shows later, we arrive in one of Bruce's favorite venues in Gothenburg, and it's <laughs> July 4th, and and the show does open with Born in the USA, a very fiery version of the song. Yeah, I, that that opening combo, Born in the USA into Radio Nowhere, that's, I put that up against almost any opening duo of, of his career. Um, and then, it, then he also uh, observes the holiday with by playing Sandy later in the set, and yeah, and then I and in and Independence Day, and if I remember correctly, uh, E Street Radio played a couple of these songs, not maybe not live, but they kind of live yeah, from tape. That was one of those 
frustrating, only Bruce can do sort of situations where they were like, we're going to broadcast the show, but they broadcast like three or four songs of it. And I, if I recall properly, the other part was like Marsh talking incessantly or something like that. Uh, well, I don't think they ever said we're going to broadcast the whole show. I think they did no. say we're going to we're going to play some cuts and something. And then, of course, they. Uh, but the you're already was... set up. I mean, come on. What is the big deal to play the whole show? It's this freaking radio station. Yeah. And then when the, what they did play, they they. The beginning was chopped or they cut in too late or cut in too early when the song was ending. So you never really got quite the you know, a pristine song to add to your playlist. Very frustrating, yeah. very frustrating. But hey, you know, here we are, how many, 14 I mean, years are, later? And it is true. We are complaining about something that happened 14 years ago. Well, how? That's that's what we do. That's what we do. And now we're getting these uh, releases every month. So kind of hard to complain. And we maybe we should let some of these things go. <laughs> Perhaps. The but second I got Okay, well that's fine. Let's get the second night in Gothenburg. Seventeen oh, different songs. Seventeen different songs, including roulette and Janie, don't you lose heart and and the big one, drive all night. First, with the first the performance since '81, right? Yeah, with the band. Of course, he'd done it on the Devils and Dust tour. That is true. My bad. But yeah, these uh, another spectacular uh, Swedish back-to-back. Uh, set of shows yeah very impressive i mean we can talk about the need for nuance or whatever but these shows <laughs> were big and they were they were pretty amazing yes yes they were i would i think we've talked about it many times before about wish wish they released more shows from the magic tour and these would certainly be at the top of my list it's interesting that there hasn't been any releases from the magic tour in europe that is surprising because there were some excellent shows uh, as as we're discussing it right now. Uh, they seem to have focused on the uh, on the Danny trio and a couple of others, but hopefully going forward we'll we'll get one. Hopefully we'll get one. Well, it is true they have hit very important shows from this tour, so it, it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think you you would want to sacrifice the St. Louis release for for Gothenburg, would you? No, I would not. <laughs> I didn't think so. That was oh, by the, the first way, one from this tour. Oh, by the way, John Phillips got to do a shot now. <laughs> well, John will be taking plenty of shots later. Yeah, get the yeah, John. Get, get ready. Yeah, exactly. And don't drive. All right. So there were there were only a few more shows left on the European tour. They went to Norway for two shows. Then they went to Helsinki. Yeah, we want to talk about this one just a little yes. bit. If only for these for the inclusion of Born in the USA between Long Walk Home and Badlands at the end of the main set. That I is think fascinating placement. Uh, and I love it. I love listening to listening to this recording. And I thought it was, yeah, as you said, just fabulous. And it just added a little bit more oomph and drove the drove the narrative home of Long Walk Home, that's for sure. Yeah. Speaking of a show where he does really bear down on the narrative not only was born in the usa played between long walk home and badlands but the rising is preceded by point blank so when point blank the rising last to die long walk home born in the usa badlands i mean <laughs> I that's pretty good you know yeah 
that's an excellent stretch stretch of songs. And then he opens the encore with girls in their summer clothes to kind of to make sure we uh, to keep it to keep it fun. Yeah, this is a really interesting set list. I mean, we're talking about shows that could be released. You also had a I'll Work for Your Love in here. So, you know, if they ever do look to Europe, they, they've got plenty of solid choices. Yeah, and I was thinking today when they release a song from, say, a release a show rather from, from uh, the Magic or uh, or Working on a Dream or, or Wrecking Ball, like, at least like six at one time. Give us a choice or buy them all, collect them all. So then the tour arrived in Spain for the last four shows of the European tour. Uh, the show in San Sebastian opened with Tunnel of Love, which is always great to see. Well, it was an honor. Or on the occasion of Patty returning returning to the stage, ah. so she had, she had been gone for well all of Europe, so she uh, she was back and he did Tunnel of Love a couple times, maybe three times over these four shows and bringing disguise a couple of times. So he really wanted to take advantage of uh, what she of what she brought to to the stage. Now the, there were two shows in Barcelona. The second show is is a hot, hot show. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah. Yeah, hot. Um, if I remember correctly, it was very hot in the stadium, and it was a very hot show from what I from what I understood. Damn good set list. You got the Prove of Darkness combo. You got This Hard Land in there. Tougher than the rest. Yeah, he really brought her for the Spaniards. As he often does. He does. And then the, you got the whole, the whole Springsteen family was there on the last night, and I think there was a couple of pictures out there of, of Evan playing guitar and Jesse playing the— uh, playing tambourine so they made it a real family affair they probably went on vacation in the mediterranean afterwards or something (laughs) my name is cindy burnett and each week i interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast thoughts from a page we talk spoiler free about their books so you can listen whether you have read the book or not and then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else the importance of the cover design why they included various aspects of the story personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Well, they only had a week break, actually, so he couldn't have taken too long a vacation. They were back a week later. We were there at Giant Stadium in East Rutherford. The show opened with 10th Avenue. And that was, yeah, that was big. It was big. (laughs) And hey, this was another show where he just came out and he had the he had the pedal to the metal. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, they were going to do like they were. I think they were actually aiming to do another ten night stand at Giant Stadium that summer. Maybe I'm misremembering or something has been exaggerated. And then it, and then they had tickets did not sell out. Yeah, it wasn't. It was not even that week. It at the very end. If the shows became hotter, but there were plenty of tickets around for a long period of time for these shows, and they never added any additional shows. 
Now, no. I will say, and you and I were at all three, these shows, and this is not going to be a popular opinion, I don't think, I, I really felt these shows were, were over the top in not a good way. <laughs> uh, I thought that he had lost the nuance of what he does best, not only with a narrative, because th that's something we talk about, and it's, it's, it's always there subtextually, but that doesn't make or break a show. But th there was something it, to me, and I remember saying this to you and a couple of other people after these shows took place, it felt to me like he was trying to prove something and he didn't need to prove anything because, I mean, the, the arena shows were, were beyond amazing. Yeah, well, I, what I was getting at was that between not getting, not selling tickets enough at the on sale to add additional shows and then the slow ticket sales even leading up to that week, he came out, I, I theorized that he came out with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. And he was going to say, I'm going to prove to all the new, all these New Jerseyans that I, that I am the top, that I'm the best. And he came out, and as I said, pedal to the metal. He was going full speed throughout almost the entire show. And I wonder, and you're right, when he does, when he does nuance, he's, he's better. When he, when he takes off, when he takes his foot off the accelerator for just a song or two here and there, it's, it's much better. But there was there was none of that at almost at any of these three shows. It really felt like a big noise, like everything was big. pounding drums. And and I understand it's a stadium show. It's a party. The, the, the second show had drive all night, which was a treat to see. But there was just I felt there was something missing from these shows compared to what we had seen in April and the previous fall, oh, those shows stand as they were so magnificent in, in so many ways. And it's not that there was anything wrong with these shows, but they just, they, to me, they seemed very one note. And, and Bruce does that note extremely well. But I, I think that, he, as you're pointing out, it's better when he hits multiple notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more. There's more gears. There's more gear than fifth. Uh, let's just put it that way. Take it, slow it down a little bit, because then you can speed it back up. And but the, no, there was it was pedal to the metal three shows except for drive all night. <laughs> and the July thirty first show, which I think some people would like to see an archive. I, I understand yes. that. Now I happen to have gotten into that venue that night very early. And then also, <laughs> well, it was great in terms of positioning for the stage, but as it turned out, there was some kind of incident on the turnpike and nobody could get into the stadium and the show was delayed. What was it, about two hours? It's about that, yeah. At least yeah. at least an hour and a half. And when, when he took the stage, it was, again, uh, Summertime Blues, 10th Avenue, Radio Nowhere, Prove It, Two Hearts... If you're into just complete nonstop rock and roll, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. It was it was great, and it and it, and it was a really fun night. But the show, when I left the building that night, I was like, "Gee, the the, the show seemed to." I was right there, right in front. I was having a ball, but deep down, I knew the show felt like. It, it was missing something a little. And then 
on top of it, the, the one place where he slowed the show down, I remember this very vividly. He, the building a house story in Mary's place seemed to go on forever. <laughs> yeah, it did that. It did that. He also, well, he also did Pretty Flamingo to slow it. That slew, slowed it down a little that bit. That was impromptu, yeah. Yeah, and then Incident, that was not a bad choice there. Uh, again, yeah. not to knock these shows, but there was something. And and it, after this, I, I said at the time, I was going to cut down on my stadium shows. And in fact, I didn't see another stadium show until 2012. I skipped all the 2009 stadium shows. And even in 2012, I only saw a couple of them just to hang out with you guys. Uh, and then ultimately, I did see a couple of stadium shows in Europe because I was traveling and and it's great seeing shows in Europe. But there, I, I just felt like the difference between Bruce and arenas and Bruce and stadiums on this tour was made very, very evident <laughs> b- by these shows. Yeah, they were good shows. They weren't. They're not legendary. They're no. they're not oh, even in the, oh. well they're they're not even in the top ten shows that that I saw on that tour. Oh, I uh, totally agree. And, and you know, I, the other thing is, we're going to get to some shows coming up, which again are back at arenas, which which blew these shows out of the water. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Now we should also make note the second night, July twenty eighth, at Giant Stadium, something did happen in the encores, which. <laughs> was notable at the time. We didn't understand how notable. And that was Jay Weinberg guested on Born to Run. And it was really, really cool because you were like, hey, this high school kid is 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 guesting on Born to Run. His father's watching from the side of the stage. It, and it, it was a really fun moment. And little did we know. I don't Did Did they know at the time that that was going to happen? They must have. They must have. Because... Another thing that we could kind of talk about is that they had a whole a whole leg for after the Milwaukee uh, Harley Fest show. A whole yes. leg that was going to, I think it was about 15 shows that was going to end, I forget, somewhere in the Northeast. I forget whether it was the, the arena at the Meadowlands or somewhere else that they decided not to, not to do. And, the, and then they went in the direction of working on a dream. And where they toured all of through all of 2009. So by that point, if they knew they were they were touring in 2009, they must have had some inkling that Max wasn't going to be available due to his Tonight Show commitments. Well, we talked about Jay's appearances on the Working on a Dream tour in a season two episode. We won't talk about it again here. If you want to hear our assessment of the 2009 tour, check that episode out. In the meantime, we'll move on to the next show was and the last stadium show of the tour was in Foxborough. Did you go to that show? I did not. I did not. It looks like a pretty much a continuation of what what he was doing at Giant Stadium. Yes. And yeah, that, we saw saw three shows at, at Giant Stadium. Didn't need to go to Foxborough. Yeah, I totally get that. And obviously I was back in L.A. as well for that show. But of course, through the magic of bootlegging, uh, I listened to the show. It's a couple of good tapes out there. And uh, the show included a couple of covers, Little Latin Lupe Lou for the first time since 88 or 95, depending on how you classify the, the Tramps reunion show in, um, in, in early 95. And, and Who Will Stop the Rain, surprisingly, based on the, the themes of the tour, or at least earlier in the tour, that it finally got, didn't get played until August. 
So Foxborough was the last big stadium of the tour. He would play one more outdoor show in Hershey. I don't really consider that a stadium, do you? No, it's not a full-sized NFL stadium uh, sized stadium. <laughs> so no. So no. All right. Well, then the Magic Tour went back into arenas, and this really starts the final phase of the tour. As we've talked about over the last few episodes, this tour went through quite a number of phases, and this final one (laughs) really registered (laughs) on a lot of people, starting with August 15th in Jacksonville. And this is a run of shows. We've talked about it on on this podcast before. I think Flynn and I are in agreement that the May to July 1st period in 2000 was the greatest run of the reunion era in, in terms of just night after night after night. And if that's the case, you do, you agree with that, right? Yes. Yes, I do. So, and if that is the case, I, I think this is number two and, and not far behind these, this last two weeks of shows. Uh, I would, I have some, uh, some positive feelings about uh, some of the late fall uh, shows of the of the rising tour and certainly the stadium portion of the rising tour but uh but yeah this is definitely it's this is up there this is up they there were, with, with intensity yeah there was a fire and an intensity these last couple of weeks that that really is notable Wh- which of these shows did you see i only saw richmond and at that show i could feel it they were it was coming um the as you said the fire and intensity it was there, and I could tell that it was just going to increase. I there was no no deny don't no denying that. I mean, crush on you, quarter of the three in Richmond with the tour debuts, you know, by sign requests. But and and again, he he came out for all these shows. He was still had the the pedal to the metal, but for some reason, I guess maybe just the fact that they were indoors, it it seemed to work a lot better than than what he was doing at Giant Stadium. There was something going on. I don't know how he got into this mode of stump the band. Now, of course, he had been doing science earlier in the year, but it took a turn here in a and and in a way the audience became a part of the show, even though when the signs were going on, yes, the audience was was holding up signs. He was playing songs. But this was really different these last two weeks. And, and, and it started in Jacksonville with You Can't Sit Down. And then in Charleston, he opens with Double Shot of My Baby's Love. In, in a way, the, the diehards and, and Bruce, it was, it was sort of acting in concert together because he did seem to be enjoying that he had set off this little thing that people were going to go back through the set list in the 70s and go, oh, what, they, what haven't they played in a while? <laughs> and, and that he was going to... He was going to indulge that. Yeah, uh, yeah. The fans did. The fans did their homework with with a lot of these requests. You can't sit down. Uh, then I fought the law in, uh, in Nashville, and and that double shot of my baby's love was was. I mean, they actually sound checked that and rehearsed it because the the swinging medallions are actually from the Charleston, South Carolina area. So that wasn't. You can't say that that was something that the fans did, but certainly. Well, a lot of these songs that we're going to discuss were soundchecked. All of the St. Louis songs were soundchecked. But at that point, I, I think, first of all, they had seen signs for some of the St. Louis songs in earlier cities yeah. as this was developing. But there, there, was, there was something going on here. It, it really, it, 
to to go back in time and, and to experience these shows again now obviously understanding that bruce and the eastry band have not played a show in five years <laughs> when they do play shows it's not going to be the same probably as 2008 this really was an amazing last stand for this tour yes it was yes it was these two weeks as you said the fire and intensity were there and yeah, something was in the air for Bruce and, and, and the band. They just they just brought it for these two weeks. And as I said, I felt it coming in Richmond. I felt it building there. And then obviously it, it just – and Hershey was another excellent show, bringing out Boom Boom. And Part Man, Part Monkey was the other tour debut. That's, <laughs> so so they, were having, they were having fun and then playing Gloria with the, with the, with the Grusheckis and – also in Hershey, you know, they were they were having fun and but they were also it wasn't just fun. There was an intensity to it. And I think a lot of that really came out in, in Nashville. Yeah, there were only three shows left in the Magic Tour officially. They were going to take place over this weekend, beginning in Nashville. Now, of course, as is well known, I attended these three shows. You unfortunately did not. Now, your wife and I share a birthday just two days apart. Full disclosure, I pleaded with you guys to get on a plane and come meet me for my 40th birthday in Nashville and St. Louis and Kansas City. And unfortunately, you, you guys refused. I don't think we, we were ever considering Nashville. Now, I did have tickets. I actually had tickets to St. Louis and Kansas City. So I was trying to trying to finagle a way to that we could do it in the most uh, efficient way. But it just wasn't just wasn't to be. Well, very sad. Sad that you didn't participate in my birthday. And sad. Very sad that you wound up missing these shows. Uh, but know, let's I'm, start with let's I'm start a, with you know, I've I've made my peace with that. Uh you know, I it's not it's not like he did uh protection at one of these shows. That would have that would have hurt me considerably, but uh I'm a, I've made my peace out. I've made my peace. All right. Beginning in Nashville now. Now what I'll say is we as we were just talking about in two thousand we saw some amazing shows over the two-month period. I don't know that I've ever seen three shows, well, two shows, I should say, as good back-to-back -back as Nashville and St. Louis. Kansas City, we'll get to in a minute. That's a bit of an oddity, but... <laughs> Slightly. Nashville, holy crap. And <laughs> if we have any power whatsoever, <laughs> Nashville needs to be an archive. If St. Louis had not happened, we would have been talking about Nashville all this time. Nashville was, oh my God, what an incredible show that was. It started off inauspiciously with Out in the Street, Radio Nowhere, and No Surrender. But the power of the performances and then as it continued into what we now refer to as a sign segment, they played Good Rockin' Tonight for the first time, I believe since... Was it 1980? Yeah, since the River Tour. Then you got grown up and I'm going down. And, and then he listened to Held Up Without a Gun and Loose Ends, two river outtakes back to back. It, the, the show only increased from there. There was. But uh, can, can you go back to growing up for a second? Didn't he do? He told some kind of guitar story. Didn't that, isn't that what the sign oh, said? Oh, right. Yes. He told the guitar story. About the goddamn up, guitar? That was. That was uh, also a sign request. The sign yes. said, play grown up with a story. <laughs> right. 
So that must have been something special. The whole show was special. This was, by the time we got to the middle of the show, I mean, the growing up was special, held up without a gun and loose ends back to back. Youngstown and Murder Incorporated just uh, uh, like a pile drivers. <laughs> and then he goes into She's the One and and suddenly out of nowhere, he's doing Mona as the intro, which so of sweet. course, again, hadn't happened since I believe 1978, right? Yes, you are correct, sir. Uh, and, and from there, and the performances were just actually no, not 1981. On. I'm sorry, he oh, did, he did She's the One in Cincinnati in, in late '81. Okay, well, uh, the performances were just spot on. And then when he went into I Walk the Line as an intro to mm. I'm on Fire, it was uh, it was magnificent. And you know, here I was. It was the start of my birthday weekend, obviously a big birthday, and. It, it just felt so good to be in that building. And it was not sold out. I mean, the, the, it was probably one of the lesser attended shows on the tour. But and as we know, that can sometimes fire him up. He just brought it. And they went through the four pack without Devil's Arcade. And, and then in between Born to Run and Rosalita, you get I Fought the Law, which I guess was a sign request. I, I, I don't even fully remember. Yeah, uh, but someone, when was the last time that was played? Um, you gotta think '84. Yeah, '84. So it's 24 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, I, I mean, I, I, if memory serves, what I heard was that the sign said, "I fought the law in memory for or for Joe Strummer's birthday." Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, so and, it made total sense. Uh, the encores, that building was rocking. Uh, Dave Blanco came out there and Rosie, and, and and they ended with Dancing in the Dark. The set list had Let the Good Times Roll, which we had heard being sound checked and sounded really good. I think that basically Bruce, after American Land, it, it was so big and the crowd was going so crazy. Rather than do something like Let the Good Times Roll, he, he went with with the power and, and he did dancing in the dark. And, and of course, everyone went crazy. <laughs> well, sometimes the, the big noise does indeed work. Well, I think in the right situation. And, and, and this was a night that certainly had plenty of nuance. Uh, uh, you know, just the version of I Walk the Line and, and Tom on Fire Alone. Uh, interesting to point out, I guess this was the only show of the entire tour that missed living in the future. Looks like looks like that way. So you guys didn't miss it, <laughs> but you got Mary's place. You got, I'm sure and he was building a house, right? With the yeah, good wood the, and the bad wood. I, I, re I recall the version of Mary's place being a little bit more compact here. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe that's just in my head. <laughs> you blocked Although it out. on the St. Louis show, it's definitely nowhere near as long as it was during Giant Stadium. But we <laughs> we left that arena. I, I was flying high when we left the 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 arena in Nashville that night and just knowing the week was getting going. And then <laughs> we drove, I was with our mutual friend, Sue. Uh, we were meeting our mutual friend, Jason. Sue and I set out to drive from Nashville to St. Louis. And we, we actually, we took a route that took us through Kentucky. <laughs> so was that the only time you've ever been to Kentucky? That would be a safe assumption, yes. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured that. We spent that Saturday in St. Louis all excited, and now it's time to go into the building. They take us in, and we're able to hear the sound check, and they're running through stuff that 
it's it, the soundcheck alone was worth the price of admission. They're doing then she kiss me when you walk in the room, little queenie. It it was crazy because never in a million years would you have thought that you were going to hear this stuff. You know, and you know me because I'd rather not even know the soundcheck, but this was unavoidable. We could hear it. And then it becomes like, is this stuff really going to be played tonight? Is this possible? And we, when we got into that building, I, I just don't think anyone had any clues to what was going to happen because, and this is, as you know, this is felt pretty much universally by everyone who was there. In fact, I don't know anyone who doesn't think this, who actually was in the building. There was something going on that night that was, it's, it, it, I'm going to remember it for a lifetime. Uh, there, th that night was it not only was it off the charts it, it it may very well have been the best concert i've ever seen well, that's and that's saying something you've seen a lot of shows over the years yes it, it's hard to put into words i, I remember when the show was over and it, it ran so late and we got in the car and i was the one driving to kansas city we'll get to that in a minute but just the enormity of what we had seen it the it was it was a setless thing and the performance this was the performance was off the charts uh, just totally off the charts and, and then you mix it with a set list that had rarities like then she kissed me and mounted of love and little queenie but you also have in there key magic pillars you, uh gypsy bikers in the show Obviously, living in the futures in the show, he still was doing the four pack at the end of the set. Girls in their summer clothes opens the encore. So this is very much a show rooted in magic still for this late in the tour. But you also have all these other incredible songs that you'd never think you'd see. And then on top of it, you've got Backstreets, Jungle Land, and Drive All Night in the same show, which I believe is for the first time since the river tour, correct? Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I always talked about, I would talk about Philly 99, that last show being an epic night with uh, Jungle Land, Serenade, and Incident. But this one also with, as you said, Backstreet Travel Night and Jungle Land, that's that's pretty epic right, right there. He really set the tone immediately when he opened with And Then She Kissed Me, which was incredibly cool to see. I can, I definitely can imagine. I mean, you, you obviously were a big fan of the bottom line radio broadcast and that was, Huge. that was a big one, but let me, I'm going to just ask, ask, ask a question mm -hmm. here. He, there was a mishap. There was a, there was a key change that not every, not every band member was, was, was in on and, but, it, but it didn't, it didn't take away from the song. Actually, it seemed to add to the fun. It was definitely a high wire act that they were on, I think, during that song, especially the moment you're referring to and you hear it on the archive release. I don't know. It just it was so exciting. And maybe if the show had continued and there had been other mishaps, that would have been magnified. But because the level of the performance during the rest of the show was so incredibly high, I think that just sort of got forgotten about. A perfect example, and as you know, this is not one of my favorite songs, although it seems to pop up in these notable shows. Adam Raised a Cane was so searing. It, literally, I, I just remember his guitar solo just like ripped us all apart. It was it was incendiary, and, and, and the show just sort of continued from there. 
you know, the mix of the set, as, as I mentioned earlier, I don't know. There was just something very special in the air. You know this because not only have you spoken to me about it, you've spoken to other people who were there. Right. And I, yeah, now I want you to, to give me other examples of what, you know, what made this show so special. So, so Greg, give me how, besides Adam Razor Kane, what other specific highlights can you, can you uh, describe? Well, really not to sound corny about it, but it goes <laughs> back to that one plus one equals three. Well, yeah. There was something in the air that night. You know, you can't fully describe it. Now, there was a huge, huge number of fans who we would refer to as diehards, people who see a huge number of shows. Bruce knows a lot of them on site. And I, I think that certainly helped explain what went down in St. Louis. I, I think it's also going to help explain a little bit what went down in Kansas City when we get to that in a moment, not as successfully. But I, I, I'm sure you understand this. Some nights you're just in the room and it feels more special than others. And, and part of it is something that can be you're going through on a personal level. Of course, it was my 40th birthday. But but I think the important thing here is it, the feeling was so universally shared, as, as we've talked about. And some of it can be quantified. You've got the set list. You've got the performance. And some of it, frankly, can't be. It, it's just sort of this mystical thing that occurs. And, and again, everyone felt it. It wasn't just the diehards. And that's why I went back to the one plus one equals three. This was just a night where every single element, it, it, it came together set list, performance, crowd, and we all took a journey together that night, and the, the result was very memorable. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Really, that main set, it was it was after drive all night. Drive all night was spine tingling, and and I we, we had seen the song at Giant Stadium, and as we said, you know, we felt those shows weren't fully successful. I did not think Drive All Night really registered, at least on me in Giant Stadium, all that much. That yep. night in St. Louis, it was it, it was just a moment, and the whole show just built and, and, and the way he was calling out songs from the crowd and the signs. And, and, and then he rampaged through the final four songs, which he did every night. And, and that was really the thing. And, and we've talked about this before. You take a song like Badlands, which is played almost every night. There are certain nights where you just feel the spark more than others. And, and when Badlands ended, I turned to some of the people we know and I was like, is it just me or is this show off the charts? Or like, it's not just you. And, and I remember thinking to myself, if he really sticks the encores here, then we're going to, we're going to have something to talk about. And, and he, 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 he stuck the encores on this <laughs> night. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Girls in Their Summer Clothes, you know, I heard it, obviously, on the archive, heard it on via the magic of bootlegging before then, and yeah, he pretty much nailed that one. I thought it was the best version of the song that I saw, as we talked about in the last episode. That one was a little rough in the early going. It was beautiful on that night, and and then to have both Jungle Land and the medley, which was incredibly yeah. rare in the reunion yeah, the, era. Yeah, to me, the medley is an, is an important, important one in this encore, because... You know, I don't want to say up through American land. It's kind of not exactly, uh, uh, you know, kind of not almost pedestrian. It's, you know, nothing out of the out of the ordinary. But then you throw in the medley and yeah, that's uh, you're getting out it, of the ordinary. It set the place flying. And then after American land, you got the trilogy of songs that were played. Uh, Thunder Road, which was <laughs> played for Bob Costas, who had mistakenly said on the air that Bruce had dedicated a song to Michael Phelps, which was untrue, but he corrected that by dedicating the song to Michael Phelps. <laughs> and then Little Queenie, which had been sound checked, and of course, Chuck Berry from St. Louis. And then you got the twist and shout for Sophie, which was the woman uh, who I guess that was the woman he, who he went to her house. He met a fan. It was in Denver, right? And at the movies in 1980, and yeah. he went back to the house and the, the mom's name was Sophie and he became sort of friends with her and she was at the show. Yeah, I think I was it Denver or was it actually St. Louis? Oh, I, maybe it was St. Louis. I don't know that. I mean, either that or she story. or she moved from or either that or she moved from Denver to St. Louis. <laughs> but the one thing I'll say is when they were started the archive series, and of course, I was very, very hopeful that this show would be released. They picked it as the first Magic release. I'm sure that they must have known what they had from that night. They knew. Uh, they knew. How. Yeah, I, I would think so. And and they do communicate at times. I mean, there were certainly fans who were in the building that night who do know people on the crew and do know people in the management and so forth. One of the people that we know who has seen probably the most shows of any fan, certainly first or second, we like to joke he's seen more shows than Kevin. I'll never forget. He turned to me right after the show ended and said, you've just seen the best show since the river tour. And, you know, I don't know. I didn't see enough shows on the born in the USA tour to really weigh in on that. The, the, this was a very, very special night in St. Louis. I'll just leave it as certainly it's the best show I saw in the reunion era, along with the river show at the garden. And, I don't think there are many shows that could possibly compete with it from this era. No, you're, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. That sounds like everybody who saw it and most people who listened to it, just they know that it was something special. It really was and a, a very, very memorable night. And <laughs> perhaps as memorable. What's that? Better than Hartford 2000? I would say so. As you know, the uh, and we've talked about this off air and in conjunction with the archive series, the the biggest shows I've seen in the era were this night, St. Louis, which is released, of course, and the River Show, which is released. And unfortunately, as you've reported, Hartford, May 8th, 2000, which unfortunately they don't have. So that one, unfortunately, will not be in my collection or nor anyone else's <laughs> it seems but 
Uh, I'm very, very lucky to have this show. Yeah. As we say all the time, the archive series is just a major gift to the fans. I understand people want to tweet and complain about the sound on this one, or that one, but as an entirety, the archive series is is just an amazing thing to have. Yeah, totally agree. Obviously, <laughs> I've been advocating for it for twenty some odd years. But then the, the, the show the show doesn't end the story. I mean, at least for me and this crazy birthday weekend, it was after midnight and we got out of there. Now, some people were flying and some people were driving. We were dumb enough to drive and we got out and, and started driving halfway to Kansas City. It was just so crazy in the middle of the night. Uh, the, the weekend of my 40th birthday, the, the, to be driving from St. Louis to Kansas City at two o'clock in the morning, you, you, look, that's that is the fun that we have doing this, and it's and it's the camaraderie and 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 being together. That's why it was so sad that you and Claudine didn't join in that weekend. Just the amazing memories, and and we did fortunately make it to Kansas City in one piece, where there would be one more arena show. Yeah, this one seems to be all over the place, to say the least. <laughs> You were there. Talk about uh, you were in the arena. Expectations. How were they? Well, it was a Sunday night in Kansas City. The first thing that went wrong was he did not go on. The show was a 730 start time and he did not go on till close to nine o'clock. Really? And yeah. people were very upset. In fact, there were like letters to the editor <laughs> after the show that it was disrespectful. And I'll never forget the guy next to me said, Sorry, I'm cracking up. He said, I know he's going to come out and open with glory days. And I was like, mm. okay, well, that's not going to happen. But then he came. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. He opened with Ricky Wants a Man of Her Own into Cynthia. I mean, people had no freaking clue as to what was going on, except for the diehards. I mean, what kind of expectations did you have going into this one after what you saw the previous night in St. Louis? We knew that it could almost never top it. Now we had seen two unbelievable shows in Nashville and St. Louis. And like I said, this was a different crowd. There were diehards there, but it was a healthy dose of locals because it was a Sunday night. I think some of the traveling crew had gone home, although there was a get together after the show ended at a restaurant in Kansas City where there must have been 200 people that we know. It was it was incredibly cool uh, to to experience that. But the the show it really got off on the wrong foot. Thrilling for those of us who want to see stuff off tracks. It really sort of sent the crowd into a status where they were lost and then he veered back and forth like he was like, "Okay, I'm losing the crowd." So after Ricky Wants a Man of Her Own into Cynthia, went into Radio Nowhere, No Surrender, Out in the Street, Hungry Heart. So that was people were like up and dancing. And then bizarrely, he made <laughs> this is a I mean, it's just a funny night to remember. He had Max sing a song, uh, a cover of Boys. And then they went back to Cadillac Ranch working on the highway. The, the crowd excited again. And then he he had Susie sing a song. It's all over now. It was it was really quite weird. And uh, the, the show was very uneven. There were some real high points. The acoustic version of Devils and Dust, which was a tour premiere, was really nice. The encores were good with the Save the Last Dance for me. 
our friend Hannah made an appearance during Dancing in the Dark, and, and he finished with Rockin' All Over the World. It was it was a fun night, but certainly this show did not live up to the two nights that came before. Some people have said to me over the years, oh, we hope that Kansas City is going to be an archive. I'd be surprised at that because of the Max and the Susie singing in particular. And and certainly if they're going to look to another show from this week, I, I think it has to be Nashville. Well, it seems to me, going going back to Kansas City, that the boys and it's all over now are just more novelties. And yeah. I guess it was just how far can you take the sign request? I mean, I think somebody had a sign that said, let let Max sing. And that is what happened. It, yeah. What's what's the point? Uh, he's not a singer. Uh, I want to hear uh, I want to hear a spring scene song. I want to hear Bruce sing a spring scene song. It, um, it was it was very odd. It, you know, if that was a show that took place at the Count Basie Theater or something like that, okay, you go. That kind of wackiness is okay. But in an arena in Kansas City on a Sunday night, it really was was it was it was bizarre. And I yeah. love Max, and I, you know how much I love his drumming. I don't need to see Max sing. You know, no. I mean, no offense not to Max, but that's not what we're there for. Not at all. And I, it, it just look it looks cool that he did Sandy to open the encore. Uh, I mean, basically, this was a tour, obviously, where they lost Danny, and that was his signature song. So I think it was good to give a give a little sky point to him as they open the encores. Yes, and and it was it was a sweet night, and and the encores after they got past the craziness of veering around, and you know, again, uh, we love rarities. Ricky wants a man of her own, which is the only time the song has ever been played. It was interesting to see. It's not one of my favorites, uh, Cynthia, which is one of my favorites. And I believe that's the only time I've seen Cynthia with the E Street Band. That was great. But there, uh, it, and it shows the difference between a Kansas City and a St. Louis. Even though rarities are great, it has to set the show on the right path. And in St. Louis, the show took off. Kansas City never took off. And that really, I think, accounts for a lot of the difference in those two shows. Do you think that what do you think about the idea that Kansas City could be an archive? It just seems too uh, too all over the place. I think that like the, like I said, there those songs are novelties, the boys, and it's all over now. And I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to have Ricky and another version of Cynthia, but it just seems too too all too all over the place. And I would I would I, with you, I agree with you that if they want to choose one from another show from this week, uh, go with Nashville. I will say the version of 10th Avenue in the encores in Kansas City was tremendous. How so? I just remember that really got the arena fired up. Okay, the so the arena he... wanted to be fired up. Like I say, there had been some moments where he, the crowd got a little lost. Looking back on it now, I wonder what he would think about the fact that he opened with those two rarities, which I think was for us. That's one of those other things. He seemed to be trying to figure out how to top himself. He knew people were traveling and and were following the tour. That was where a lot of this stuff was coming from. But that was was difficult, as I mentioned. And then the sign requests, this was just a time where it was just too over the top. Uh, to have Max sing a song and then to have Susie sing a song, that was really more of a duet. But she was the lead singer on the song. One of those would have been like, okay, that's kind of fun, but both yeah. in the same show. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's one, okay, two, no, no, no. Anyway, and enough about Kansas City. It was a truly memorable weekend for me, and all three shows had things that I loved. And one day, 
hopefully far into the future when when I look back on these things, uh, that is going to be a very, very memorable weekend for me. And I know some of the people who are with me that weekend are listening to this. And I just want to say thanks for joining me. Uh, it was it was a blast. Well, good. I'm glad. And it, what's what's so odd about it is that that was kind of the emotional tour closer uh, for this for magic and then but then a week later it's they're they're playing in milwaukee for harley fest such a yeah, weird speci- kind of thing yeah he specifically said that in kansas city that this was the final night of our magic tour i think as we talked about i think i think once before the tour was going to get extended harley was supposed to open the final leg of the magic tour which was then going to go through what was it october uh, I think it was into November. Yeah, into November. So it, it wound up that that was a show that they had agreed to do and was now sort of tacked on to what became the official end of the Magic Tour. Neither one of us saw Harley from everything that we know was a very solid show. Cool to open with Gypsy Biker in those circumstances. He closed with Born to be Wild. I know several people who were there would like to see that as an archive. It, it, yeah. But it was sort of an addendum to the actual tour. Even though it was only a, a week break, it's kind of hard to consider that a leg change, but but it was going to kick it off. Uh, some have also su- suggested that this could be an archive. Well, listening to the show, one thing that really stands out is this version of Racing in the Street. It's actually one of the best I've ever heard, certainly from the reunion era. And other people who were there and who li- have listened to the recordings, they, they had the same feeling. So that would be a good one just to have in and of itself. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I don't know if that's a show that they would release, especially with what, some of the others that took place in August. I agree. They, I, yeah, it's, they it's, have it's, not it's released like, a European show, as we mentioned. Also, no that that would be a Europe would be good. There's there are some good ones from Europe, and but yeah, this one would not be in my top ten. But hey, you know, just about any show will have something really something excellent in it that we're gonna we would want, and uh, just a matter of finding a show that has a whole bunch of those moments. <laughs> well. I think with that, we've probably overstayed our welcome on the Magic Tour. We've been talking about it for weeks now. Should we wrap up? Well, let me, I just have one more one more thought on the Magic okay. Tour. Okay, it's, 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 Looking back on it, and I guess I should have noticed it at the time, I, I think I did, is that they he really focused on, on the E Street, on the E Street Band and the E Street Canon. And... There wasn't a lot of off East Street stuff except for like American Land. There was no my point was my point is there was nothing from ninety two. I think there was one one performance of Fall Behind. Um there was the only Devils and Dust song was Devils was and Dust, in uh, which was City, done in, yes. in Kansas City. And you know, I was really hoping to hear some of that stuff. Uh, Maria's bed, all the way home, a long time coming on the on the next East Street tour when when he released that that album in 2005, but it just wasn't meant to be. And so it was just interesting to note that he really focused on the E Street Band on this tour from from start to finish. And I guess it would it would he would wait until uh, 12, till 2012 to start uh, challenging the band with with more of of the off off E Street stuff. It really was a tour that ultimately came down to brotherhood. They lost a member for the first time along the way. And I think you're right. He wanted the focus to be on E Street. He wanted the focus to be on 
those men and women who had stood next to him for all those years and and now was facing the loss of of Danny, their great friend. And it, uh, that's one of the reasons it, it became such an amazing tour. And and certainly the 2008 touring period, it, 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 as we said, is, is is right up there. And too bad they really couldn't continue that into 2009. But we've already talked about that, too. <laughs> we did. And we refer you back to our second season where that episode aired i'm gonna wrap it up so we can move on to other stuff in our next episode none but the brave is a presentation of bull market entertainment we're part of evergreen podcasts you can find us on twitter at nbtb podcast on the web we're at none but the brave podcast.com so for hal schwartz i'm flim mclean saying thanks for listening and we'll see you further on up the road thank you so much we'll be seeing you I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.